If you would, turn with me to James 2. And some of you are looking at your clock and seeing it's 1018, so we might get out of here by noon based on my reputation. But we're going to make it happen. James 2, listen as I read. He says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes a man, poor man in dirty clothes. And you pay special attention to the one who is wearing fine clothes and say, You sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom in which he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. It is not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court. Do they not bless of me the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And last week we looked at the Word of God and we looked at our response to the Word of God and we said that we are to respond humbly and we are to respond obediently. And, and what we see here in this passage ties in directly with that and especially verses 26 and 27 where it said, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their distress. And we, we looked at the fact that why is that pure and un, uh, pure religion? Because they can't respond. They can't return the favor in kind. It is serving others sacrificially, sacrificially mercifully. It's doing for others what they can never do to yourself, for yourself. They can't return the favor. And partiality, James immediately goes into partiality and he gives an example of something that would have been very obvious, something that would have been very clear, something that was to strike a blow at their own hearts, and it ties in directly with what we saw at the end of chapter 1. And, and this, what we see today, is probably one of the most subtle, yet one of the most destructive sins, especially in a church, partiality, favoritism. Allowing there to be divisions amongst the body. Serving one person more than you serve another. Probably, again, one of the most subtle, yet destructive, and possibly one of the most prevalent sins in the body. Partiality. Serving those who can serve you. Looking out for those who can return the favor. Doing, uh, doing for others for some that you won't do for others. Probably one of the most prevalent sins in the body. And yet one of the most destructive. And I want to show us today real quickly, obviously, with it, real quickly. I want to show us real quickly why this is so destructive. And the first thing you see on your handout is this. Partiality of sin is because it contradicts God's character. And the main point, again, the main point, it, this has to do with representing our Father. And partiality does not represent our Father. And if we're going to if we're going to represent him accurately, we have to love others sacrificially without partiality. That's the main point. If we're going to represent him well, this is about representing our father well and sin 
Partiality is a sin because it doesn't represent the character of our Father. It contradicts His character. That's what James says in, in verses 1 through 4. It, 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 it contradicts everything about the, the God that we know and love. The, the word partiality, it literally means to receive the face. It's judging somebody. It's receiving somebody clearly based on externals alone. It has nothing to do with who they are as a person. It has everything to do with what they look like, what they have to offer you. It's looking at somebody and making judgments and assessments and serving them according to the way they look rather than who they are. And that is, that is a misrepresentation of God's character. Therefore, it is a sin. And that is why, that is why it's so heinous, because it is a misrepresentation of the character of our Father. You, you can look back. We, we just studied through uh, Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 17, our memory verse for this week, but it says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of hosts, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. You can look at Malachi 2.9, there's no partiality in God. You can look at Romans 2.11, same thing. Partiality is, is grievous, it's heinous, because it's a misrepresentation of the character of God. The very character that we as Christians were called to portray and represent, and partiality misrepresents that character. It's, clear, it's a, very, a very clear, a very easy illustration here a rich man comes in wearing fine clothes wearing a ring literally in the greek there he has rings on all of his fingers in that day they would even rent rings to show off one's wealth it was a status symbol it says his clothes were fine they they were in our culture i don't know bedazzled maybe he maybe if anybody does that anymore i don't according to the at&t commercial nobody does that anymore but the you know he, he, it's clearly, clearly, let's just understand this, clearly this person is rich. Clearly, it's obvious. It's obvious by what he looks like that he's rich. Another man comes in, and, and the word there literally means shabby. The poor man comes in uh, with his clothes. The word there is shabby. It's clear that this man is not rich. The, the word there literally in the Greek is unsightly. A clear distinction here. And look at their response. The rich man, they give a lot of attention to. Hey, come sit here. Hey, hey, hey scoot over to the poor man. It's like, well, you can sit at my feet. You can sit over there. James says, you've, look at it. He says, verse 4, you have, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with what motives? Evil motives. Here's the subtlety, here's the subtlety of partiality. We, we've been talking a lot in James about sacrificial mercy. The subtlety of partiality is you are showing mercy. You're showing mercy. But you're not showing sacrificial mercy, you're actually showing selfish mercy. You're showing mercy because you hope to get mercy back. You're showing mercy because it's not going to cost you, because it's actually going to profit you. And so you serve the rich person. You serve this person over that person. Rather than serving someone at your own cost, which the Lord did, you're serving somebody to your own gain. You're hoping that you will profit from this. And, and James says it's evil. That's why it's evil, because your motives. You're actually not sacrificing. You're being selfish. But it's under the guise of sacrifice. 
That's the subtle evil of partiality. Who you're serving, who I'm serving when I'm partial is not the person I'm serving. Ultimately, who I'm serving is me. I'm serving me. And I'm using you, I'm using another person to serve me. That's the subtlety of it. That's the dangerousness of it. It's actually a form of idolatry. Who I want to serve more, who I care about more than anybody is me. And we love in our flesh, we love to serve people who will eventually serve us. We love to do that. We're very good at doing that. We're very good at serving people who can return the favor who, or, or who it will be good to, to, for us to be seen around or who it will be easy to love or, or relationships that won't cost us much or won't require much of us or return the favor, reciprocate. We're very good at serving people that look like us and dress like us and live like us and think like us and act like us. Why? Because there's no cost in serving that person. Who we're actually serving is ourselves. We're loving ourselves. And James says, you've distinguished amongst each other, and it's evil. It's evil. God is a giver. He serves unconditionally, and He serves sacrificially. And, and this, to, to live this way, to live this way, is a contradiction of His character. But not only is it a contradiction of His character, it's a contradiction of the gospel. And, and this is why it's most devastating. It's a contradiction to the gospel. It's actually hypocritical. Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 says, For consider your calling, verse 26, brethren, that we're not many of you, there were not many of you who are wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong, and the base things and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. Here, here's the irony the early church was almost predominantly poor people. The vast majority of the makeup of the early church were very, very poor individuals. This is specifically true of, of these Jewish believers. Many were poor. Most were poor. The reality is, is that God had offered salvation to the poor. The poor were the ones that were mainly responding to the gospel. They recognized their sinfulness. They recognized their, their outcast in society. They recognized that. And that's why partiality is hypocritical, because it's hypocritical of the salvation that we've received. God has invited us, who were utter sinners, who had no business being in a relationship to Him, were completely different. In this setting that James gives, we would have been the poor person, God would have been the rich person. We're the poor. We're the unsightly. We're, we're the ones that God has no business relating to and yet in the gospel through the blood of jesus christ he has invited sinners into his presence not only that he adopted us he gave us a hope and a future it's it's contradiction it's contradictory to the gospel look look with me real quickly at at luke we're going to cut some of these verses out for the sake of time but in luke 14 i want to get the big ones listen to this in luke 14 12 and he went to and he went on to say to the one who had invited him when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do, to, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, that, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they have no means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteousness. 
of the righteous. Do you see the point? To, to treat those who can serve us, to only invite the elite, to only invite the ones that are like us and look like us and repay us, is, it's a contradiction to the gospel. God in His grace has invited outsiders, outcasts, into the fold. And before we think too much of ourselves, you and I are the outcasts. In that story, you and I are the lame and the crippled. The Gentiles, the non-Jews, we're the lame and the crippled and the poor and the ones that nobody invited to the party. And God says, you know what, Jews? I'm going to invite them in, and they're going to take a seat right next to you, and I'm going to love them right next to you. And that's what struck a blow to the Jews. That was unbelievable to the Jews in Jesus' day, that the Gentiles would come in. You'd spend time with the Gentiles? I mean, you go to John 4, they would go out of their way to avoid Samaria. And here you see Jesus walking right through Samaria to meet the woman at the well. The reality is, is non-Jews, Gentiles are the outsiders. God, we have, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have received forgiveness for your sin at the total cost of God and Jesus Christ. None to you. None. All grace. And see, we, we love to receive grace because that's free. What we do have a hard time doing is giving grace. Why? Because that costs. We're very good at receiving mercy because that's free. But we're very bad at giving mercy because that costs. And God has called us to be a people who give at personal cost. Why? Because God himself gave and offered salvation to the world through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ at his own cost, at a very high personal cost. I mean, the gospel is this. While we were sinners, outsiders, outcasts, looking nothing like God, having no reason, no claim on God, unservable, undesirable, we were unsightly. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Listen, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. Here's where this matters. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ, who, although he existed in the form of God, listen to this, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Do you see what Jesus Christ emptied himself of? King of kings, Lord of lords. Perfection. You know what he took on for you and for me? He took on humanity. He took on flesh. He took on being hungry. He took on weeping. He took on all the sin of the whole world, the wrath of God due to the whole world because of my sin and your sin was poured out on him. He knew nothing of sin. He's perfect. And yet he did that for wretched Chris. That's crazy. And then I'm going to turn around and play favorites? James is saying that makes no sense. You, you look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, though, so that you through his poverty would become rich. That's the gospel. And James is saying, give away that which you've received. That's, that's Christianity. 
I'm simply giving away that which I've received by grace. I'm, ex- I'm, ex- I'm showing off the character of my father. I'm giving others what they don't deserve. Are they my enemies? They don't deserve it? Well, guess what? I was God's enemy. Romans 5, 8 through 10. Didn't deserve it. And yet God gave it. And what lies beneath all of, the par- all of this is selfishness. That's why Paul says in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish or empty con- conceit. But with humility, regard one another as equal. Partiality is sin because it's not, motiv- it's not motivated by God's glory. It's motivated by my glory. And I'm allowing my glory to trump God's glory. It makes life about me and not about the gospel. That's why his partiality is so dangerous and subtle. I look like I'm serving people, but really who I'm serving is myself. It's not sacrificial. And the gospel teaches us to be captivated by grace of God, not of the riches of this world. It teaches us to treat people as they ought to be treated rather than the way they've treated me or deserve to be treated. It teaches us to love our enemies rather than returning evil for evil. It teaches us to love the outcast, to love those who are different from us. It teaches us to live and give out of grace because that's what we've received. It, it, it humbles us. It motivates us to love. It says that nobody is beyond our service. Why? Because I wasn't beyond God serving me. And that's ultimately why it's so devastating is because we receive mercy But then we turn around and don't give mercy. We receive grace, but then we're going to refuse somebody grace? That makes no sense. It's contradictory to the gospel. We we have untold riches coming to us, coming our way that we were completely undeserving of and did nothing of. The Bible says, everything I have above nothing was given to me by grace. Am I going to act like I did it myself or am I going to give it away? And it's tough. I struggle with it. There are people... Even, I mean, be honest, there are people sitting in this room that are easier to serve than others, you're thinking. You're probably thinking it's easier to serve my last pastor than to serve you, Chris. That's okay. But, but we got to serve. Because it's not about what's easy. It's about what's right. And it's about giving away the gospel, that which I've received by grace. It's about giving it away. Impartiality is sin because it contradicts his character, it contradicts the gospel. But lastly, James says it contradicts the law. Look at verse, and, and he says that in verses 8 through 13. He says, If you, however, are fulfilling the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. You, you see that in Leviticus 19, you see that in Deuteronomy 1, you see it in Deuteronomy 15. That, that's the law, the, the, the summation, the overarching principle for the whole Old Testament and everything God said was this, love, love your neighbor as yourself. Love. The principle behind the whole law was love. The fundamental, the fundamental thing that ought to govern our lives in every situation is love. And Jesus himself in Matthew twenty-two thirty-four 34 through 37 said that. They said, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Galatians 5.13, Paul says, the whole law and the prophets are summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. It's love. Paul, James himself here says that love is the royal law. He, what, he said, what he means there in the, in the Greek, it's that supreme. 
It literally, the word there, literally the word there for royal law means belonging to the king. Our king's heart is love. You can look at 1 John, he's love. Now, obviously, that doesn't, that doesn't contradict in our minds. He still, he still had his wrath and just and mercy and grace, and he judged. But, but overarching all of that is love. Love. Love stands at the heart of every single thing God has done. And as believers, it ought to stand at the very heart of every single thing that we do. And partiality is a sin because it violates love. Partiality is a violation of love. And that would stand, that would, to, to love one another, to bring in the fold, to do what we saw in Luke 14 would be a humongous. I mean, think about the testimony of that. People are like, Who, why don't you invite them? Because that's what God called us to do. Why are you friends with them? Because that's what God called me to do. It's about being different. It's about standing in contrast to the way of the world. And what we see in Scripture is a couple things. The love of God is our standard for loving others. It's our standard. Let me read with you real quickly. I don't want, I want, to, I want, to, don't want to miss all of these because they, they make my point, and I want Scripture to speak for Scripture. Matthew 5, 43-48. Listen to this. God is a standard. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus is speaking, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Wouldn't that be nice if like all the believers' yards were green and all the non-believers were brown? That'd be cool. Like you just drive around and like, why ain't it raining at your house? Because you don't love God. For if you love those who listen, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. You see what he's saying? You see the difference? He's saying, if you love only those who love you, if you love only those who do good to you, the world does that. What's the difference? What, what point are you making? The world loves people who can pay them back. The world's very good at loving people that can pay them back. He says, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see it in John 15. Greater love is no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. You see it in 1 John 2. The world loves loving people who can return the favor. They love it. They're very good at it. The, the word here is agape. It's a choice. It's a reasoned out. It's, it's saying, you know what, I'm going to do it regardless of the worth. I'm going to do it. It's choosing to love the unlovable. It's not, well, I don't feel like it. You won't feel like it. That's the point. But God commands it. And God's love for us, for you and I, is the standard by which we are to love others. But not only is he the standard, God's love for us is the source. This is not just, you know, pull up your bootstraps and get it done. As a believer, God living in you is the source. You look at 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. You see the source? It was manifested in us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means payment. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Very clear. Verse 19, we love 
because he first loved us. The reality is you can tell you can tell somebody who has received the love of God. You can tell. Why? Because they love others. You can tell somebody who has received grace, who has received mercy. Why? Because they give those things. And the gospel, the gospel and God's love for us propels us to love others. And James here says partiality. Look what he puts partiality on par with. Murder and adultery. I, I, honestly, in our flesh, would we, we would not, if we were ranking sins... There would be a large gap between murder, adultery, and partiality, and yet James says, hey, you're just as guilty. They're just as devastating. The, the reality is this. We've been shown mercy, therefore we must show mercy. And, and there will be strong judgment for somebody who doesn't. Listen to John, uh, Luke 6, 35 and, and following. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men, being merciful just as your Father is merciful. Listen to this. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. You don't give mercy, guess what you don't get? Mercy. You don't give grace, guess what you're not going to get? Grace. And, and, and biblical mercy is not simply being concerned. It's sacrificial. It acts. It costs. It's not just having empathy. It does something. And God, in his great grace and mercy, in verse 12, he has made a way that we can escape the judgment for our sin. It's believing upon Jesus Christ. His believing upon his death, his burial, and resurrection. Grace and mercy are readily available. He has provided a way of escape, and that ought to motivate. That ought to motivate us. The fact that one day we're going to give an account for how we've doled out his mercy and His grace, that ought, to, that ought to motivate us. Because you can look at 1 Corinthians 3, you can look at all over Scripture. Believer is going to be judged in how they stewarded God's grace. And in 1 Corinthians 3, it makes it very clear. There will be believers whose whole life is burned up. They will enter heaven as with the smell of smoke on them. Why? Because they did not give out that which way they received. And real quickly, just bring this home. Just bring this home. I'm going to ask you some questions and, and just my prayer is that it would prompt the Holy Spirit in us to ask us these questions and deal with us to reveal maybe subtle ways that we're partial and we're not noticing it. Listen to that. And these are, again, these are things that the Holy Spirit convicted me of this week. Misery loves company, so I'm just going to draw you all in and we can lament together. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Whose calls do you take or not take? Partiality. Who do you sit by or not sit by? Partiality. Who do you hang with or who do you not hang with? Who do you invite or who do you not invite? Who do you say yes to versus who do you say no to? Who do you get excited to be around versus who do you're like, oh. And this was convicting. The other day, I was, fortunately this is none of y'all, I can admit that. We were walking out, we were, Karen and I were together. I see this guy coming and I, and just, uh, again, forgive me, I went, oh. 
And Karen started laughing because she knew it was going to be a 30 minute conversation. She knew. And it just, and I thought, man, here I am studying this, and just God in His grace is saying, Chris, partiality is subtle. Just that, oh. It's like, Chris, you're, you're wretched. You're wretched. So I'm sure you do it too, so let's lament together. <laughs> who, who, do you, who do you get excited to be around? Who do you get excited to be around? And I'm not diminishing sin. Please hear me. I was saddened by that in my own heart. Who do you serve versus who do you say no to? Who do you sit by every week? When you come here, who are you looking to see first? Students, let me ask you this. The boy or girl that you like, do you treat them any differently than you treat others at school? Selfishly trying to get by them or, or be friends with them? Students, how do you treat the boy or the girl at your school that's different from you? How do you treat them? How do you treat the boy or girl that maybe doesn't act like you? The boy or girl that maybe is, is going to need something from you? Or, or, or maybe, maybe I thought about even this. How do you treat that boy or that girl when they come and say, Can I sit by you? And they're not in the cool crowd. And the cool crowd that's watching you allow that person to sit by you is going to think less of you because you let them sit by you. How do you treat them? It's partiality. When are they, you know, how do you treat the person that's, that's gonna, that, 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 that isn't going to elevate your status at school? That isn't going to make you look cooler? At, at church, do, are there people that you include or exclude? Ask this in today's culture. Are, do all your friends look like you? Are they all white? Are they all black? Are they all in your eco, economic status? What, what, what do your friends look like? Partiality. Hey, ask yourself this. What is the result? What is the end desired result to what I'm doing? Is the end desired result, is do I have a relationship with that person because they can bless me? Or do I have a relationship with that person because I can bless them? It's subtle. It's subtle. Ask, am I ultimately the one gaining or am I in this because I'm the one that gets to sacrifice and serve? It's partiality. Partiality. And I pray that we would be a church that is not partial. I pray that we would be a people, not only here, but when we go out in the world, that everyone is welcome. That we look for people to serve rather than wasting our lives. As Philippians said, not merely looking out for our own interests, but humbling ourselves and looking out for the interests of others. Because... That represents God's character. It represents the gospel. And love is the fulfillment of the law. And we have been loved with an everlasting, unending love. And God says, you go do the same. We have been shown mercy where there was utter sinfulness. And God says, you go do the same. We have been shown grace in the forgiveness of our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, you go do the same. And in doing so, in doing so, we'll represent our Father well. And I believe God will use that to make a huge impact on this, on this place where we live, at work, at school, and even in our own lives. And we will look like our Father. And I pray that we'll do this to God's glory.